Hello and welcome to the Adulting Well Podcast. I am your co-host, Joshua, and I am joined as always by your co-host, Kevin. And we are very excited to introduce our guest today, Rich Egan, co-founder of Vagrant Records, now a pretty damn well-known manager uh, of some amazing bands at Heartache Working Group. And, you know, I'm going to let Rich, I just want you to just give us a brief bio of yourself rather than me try to run down all these notes I've taken because you've done a lot. And I think we could just start with kind of what we talk about here. What got you into the punk scene? Oh, um, your notes are probably more extensive than mine on my life. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but you know, I got into it like the rest of us. It was like, I grew up, um, surfing and skating in Santa Monica and, you know, punk rock was just kind of a, that's what we did. You know, it it was kind of inextricably linked to everything. Um, What era of punk was this when you started like skating and going to shows and doing all that stuff? Well, that would have been, let's see, that would have been about 84, 85. So just at the tail end of when LA was good and just before it got (laughs) kind of ridiculously violent and, just insidious. Who were those first shows you were going to? Did anybody make any impressions on you? Oh yeah. Yeah. The first show I ever went to was black flag at, um, the federal building in Westwood on 4th of July at a legalized weed concert in summer before ninth grade. And you were just like, did you go with your friends? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I went with what felt like my friends and all of their schools and everybody else. And we, uh, I just remember, I just remember taking the bus. Uh, I think it was the 435, the bus, on Wilshire Boulevard because I live west and mm. the bus was just packed. It was like straight out of like some like teen movie. It was like every single kid from all of our neighborhoods would just pile on and uh, we were all telling our parents we were going somewhere else. Were yeah, all the was... kids in your neighborhood punks? No, no. But, but it, it was just, just the more... thing to do? Yeah, like especially that because it was like a yeah. daytime thing. It was free, sure. you know? So yeah. it, was, uh, it was a mishmash, but oh, it must have been like, fun. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, it, was, it was scary as hell, you sure. know. And then it got scarier seeing Black Flag a couple more times in that Santa Monica Civic. And uh, it's just, scary in what way? Because you know you're 14, and <laughs> like the the older kids, which are like 18, and just oh, yeah. you know it was just terrifying. Mad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we were yeah. Pinned up against the back wall, just like wide eyed, like trying not <laughs> well, to be noticed. At that point, too, didn't the scene in LA start to get? Wasn't there like a pretty heavy duty kind of violent component to some of the shows anyway? On top of yeah. the fact that it was, you know, there was these huge age disparities, obviously. But I mean, I feel like during like that, when you, once you cross that threshold of 1985, it was just kind of bonkers at that point. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty much, uh, I was pretty much done around then. Like yeah. it was kind of, it was, it was cool. And that I got into it early because my older sister was into it. Yeah. And, um, but then, like you said, it just got, I mean, even a 15 year old could realize like, okay, this isn't cool anymore. You know, there's people (laughs) showing up baseball bats and skinheads and suicidals and it just kind of sucked. And did you go to college out there or did you? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, went to Loyola Marymount, um, in LA. I, well, I went to San Diego state for a second and then, uh, kind of literally surfed my way out of there. And ended up back in in LA at uh, at LMU, yeah. And that's when I I started my label in college. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, it was, hold on, let me turn this off guys. It was kind of an accident. It wasn't an accident. It just wasn't a, it wasn't any kind of like career path. I was, I was forging. Well, you were going to a lot of shows when you were in college. Oh yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it got, it got, I mean, I was lucky because let's see, I graduated in 87 from high school and, um, Oh so, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was starting a to good get good. Time. Yeah. Totally. Totally. It's starting to get good again. So I probably saw, I mean, I saw social distortion probably like a thousand times, bad religion. Um, God, just you name it. And then when Fugazi came around and like 90 and 91, I mean, it, it was getting really, really good then. It was kind of, kind of a rebirth after sure. like a really like horrible time, especially in LA. You know? Yeah. They had the whole, there was the whole like glam metal hideousness and right. Terrible. The whole pay to play thing was going on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There was nowhere to go. Like yeah. we, like we used to be able to go to shows, you know, all the time. You know, like the Minutemen used to play somewhere every single weekend and, um, and things like that. But then it was just gone. And, um, at that time I started to get into like, that's when I kind of discovered the Minneapolis scene and the mm. replay and soul asylum. Um, so that was kind of like junior or senior year of high school. And then when I went to college, um, LMU has a radio station KXLU. So I worked at the radio station. Um, they're doing like the DJ, like talking on the radio and all that stuff. No, I was just, you know, pulling records and oh, okay. messing around. I started yeah. actually at KCRW at, at, in Santa Monica because uh, I went to SMC for a year and a half. So what were you that, majoring in communications or something? Yeah. Communication arts. Okay. Yeah. So it was great. I mean, KCRW was, I mean, it's a public radio station. It's probably like the best one in the country, you know, it's so professional. Wow. They were like real adults running that station. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So you were, we were just kind of, you know, it well, was kids. They still, they, I mean, they still have shows that are on the public radio network. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they, they, they provide stuff that's out there. Like I can hear it on KQED here from, from that station. From KCRW or from KXLU? No, KCRW. Yeah. Oh yeah. KCRW is, I mean, it's top notch. Yeah. It's like one of the best public radio stations in the country. Yeah. I, that was an amazing experience working there. Like I was That's just going to ask if you learned anything that helped you like bled into other aspects of your life or, um, yeah, how was that experience? I guess. Um, it was, it was amazing. Like, because like I got to work with like, there was DJ Tom Schnabel who did morning becomes eclectic. I got to like pull records for him all, you know, for three hours on Sunday mornings, Chris Doritas. Like I learned a lot about just, um, and also the, I don't know. It's, it was a really well-run station. So I, I learned like, okay, mm-hmm. it can be, you know, it can be volunteer run and everything else, but really be professional, like fundraising mm-hmm. and the whole thing. It was, it was really, really cool that way. Um, but also like, I remember the, like the first week I was there, I was sitting at the desk and, and a guy like walks up to the front of the desk. I'm the only one in there. Like the DJ is like in, you know, in the booth, and the guy walks in with a guitar and I didn't really look up and he's like, uh, Hey, I'm supposed to play here today. I look up and it's Bob Mould. And I was just like, whoa. And then and I was like, uh, sure, follow me. And he goes, hold on, I'm just waiting for my guitar player. And then Vic Chestnut rolls in. And oh like, God. and then like, it's the three of us sitting in the studio, kind of just like waiting, you know, waiting till the DJ started rolling tape. But I got to sit there and just listen to their, them work out the whole set. It was rad. Right. That's awesome. time, go ahead, sorry. No, we're just in awe. We're just oh. Here's the best one though. 
So I was, I was, uh, I was delivering pizzas at the same time. So I'm listening to the station, like, you know, one of my runs or whatever. And I hear, um, Tom come on the, the DJ and he's like, okay. I, then REM track was playing. He's like, okay, that was, uh, REM live here in our studio. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I just, I like, go, Hey, I'm off for the night guys. And I went down the studio and like two hours. It was right when out of time came out. Yeah. So I got to sit there with just REM and, and Tom Schnabel and they played just for two hours, literally. Wow. Um, it, was, it was insane. Did they just so, play acoustic in there? Was it like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the whole it was just them. It was yeah. So that to answer your question, that's kind of experiences like I had there that were just insane. And then when I went to KXLU, that was right when Seattle was happening. So it was like every band came through there, and and like Nirvana came through and, and did their did their uh, in studio, and then they played Jabberjaw at night, and they oh, wow. uh, and they said, hey, we're filming a video tomorrow, so you guys were all invited. And it was everyone from the communications department at KXLU and, uh, and they're all in that video in the team spirit video. It's all oh, that's great. Yeah. I didn't quite make it. I went to the show and didn't make it to the video shoot, but like all of my friends from the communication communications department are in there. Like the guy who carries off the symbol, his name was Aubrey. He was in my class, like just everyone in there. So it was pretty insane. Did you see them play in the studio? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was more of like an interview. And sure, I, I, sure. I got like that. They just came in there were plugging their show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but everyone came through. The Melvins came yeah. through. I think the Wipers came through. Like just that sounds like such an intimate way to watch the the bands you like. You know, it was insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. It was really great. I know it's um, it's it's too bad that radio's gone. You know, in many ways by the wayside. You know, I mean, I know there's a lot of good still stations that have kind of lived through it and with internet radio, but it's like the traditional kind of DJ format is, you know, it's just gone. I mean, you know, it's unless you've got a small local public radio station and they, they, they purposely do that. It's really hard to find those stations anymore that have true DJs and, uh, and interview bands live in the, in the studio, you know, not over, not over a recorded line or whatever, you know? Um, so that's, that, what, what a great way to kind of like kick off your, your career in music too. I mean, yeah. Um, it was insane. I was really lucky. Well, and really a lot of a, a huge like independent movement at that time too. Like right before mm-hmm. all those bands hit, it was like, you know, kill rock stars and mm-hmm. and um, you know, Sub Pop was an, an independent label at the time. And you know, I Any mean, there records, was a yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. And um, yeah. so what 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 was the impetus to start Vagrant? Let's just talk about it. Let's get right into it because you know that's that's a incredibly impactful label. You you all were signing bands. I mean, almost it was like the growth of the label was almost like unprecedented for an indie. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it just like blew up. Yeah, it did. It was yeah. kind of crazy. Um, I think it was you know it was a confluence of circumstance. Uh, we got real lucky on a lot of things, and and we also planned our good luck in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I had actually started the label. I mean, it, it definitely seemed like it seemed like we were like whatever an overnight sensation or whatever. But I had started it like seven years prior. I just didn't have my shit together, and mm-hmm. then we just kind of stumbled along. And then once we kind of went, okay, this is this kind of makes sense. We kind of figured out how to do things. Then it ramped up really quickly. Like from from ninety from ninety seven to two thousand was kind of mind blowing. 
um, we got really lucky. I was because I, I was managing face to face, and we ended up putting out their live record. They're, they were on a major label, but they let us put out the major A and M record. And said, "Yeah, you could put out a live record." Didn't think a, a rock live record would sell. Sure, seventy five thousand copies of it, which was just insane. Oh wow, yeah, yeah two yeah. guys in a room. So sure. it was like, and then through managing face to face, like you know, just the the scene at the time, I and mean, we're talking ninety four, ninety five. Mm-hmm. Like everything was just kind of blowing right. up. Green Day is happening. And, and yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, really vagrant. Um, like we, we really started to kind of go, honestly, once we kind of tapped into like uh, just a kind of a network of both people and like uh, business contacts through those people. And really, like, I mean, I'd be remiss without like acknowledging Lance Hahn from J Church who mm-hmm. like was so, so instrumental, um, in like helping me kind of meet people like, like you would just call it, he was such a, he was so generous with his time and his like advice. I mean, Kevin, you remember it was like, he comes up on this show a lot as a cool dude. Oh, he was the best, man. He was in, he was incredible. Um, but yeah, so, so Lance was like a big, big part of like help. We, we put out a J trip seven inch and yeah. that led to like seaweed and, Fluff and love down by law. So it was really, really cool. That was instrumental. Let me, let me just say something about down by law really quick. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that was an incredibly underrated band. I got to play a show with them back in those days and they both like, I love their records, but live, they were just so good. I mean, and that, I think that's going back to the face to face comment. What the major label missed out on was what a band like face to face brought live. Totally. Because their records are killer. I mean, they're, you know, they're tight. They're like obviously well kind of plotted out, recorded well, high quality. You know, they, they're they great musicians. There's no doubt about it. But live, they were so like good. blowing the roofs off buildings at that time totally. in their career. And people knew that. Like people that went out to see them were like, yeah, you're going to go see a ripping show. They're going to just kill it. Because yeah. they brought it every single night, you know. And and so, you know, I, I just like, I, I love, you know, Down by Law was a great band. I've got fond memories of them, but I think it's also interesting that you were doing this kind of during this crazy time of like bands signing for all this money, but you were like, you had some of the best bands of the time on your label and not all of them signed to majors. Like they, they, a lot of them really like got made their success, stayed successful touring and, and putting out records on like labels like yours. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, that was kind of a, it, for the time, especially it was, it was a kind of like a one of a kind kind of experience in that, what that kind of really launched us was when we signed to get up kids and yeah. what we were, what we did in a certain like six month period was um, we signed bands off of other indie labels who normally would make the jump to majors, but had seen kind of that wave before them, you know, go to majors and, and, you know, suffer the consequences, unfortunate, um, consequences. So we, we signed the get up kids. They were coming off of doghouse and, you know, we gave them like, we gave them a real rich deal. We gave them basically whatever they wanted and kind of like built the label around them. And then when they provided the blueprint, then that followed with all the bands that came out from our label. It was like saves the day, rocks from the crib, uh, (laughs) dashboard confessional, Alkaline Trio, it just, you know, it was, it just kind of opened the floodgates. Wow. Yeah. 
and it was it was within like a six month span we signed all those bands. So it was a little nuts. Well, and all, like, all the aforementioned again, incredibly great live bands. That was what all of our bands had in common, honestly. I mean, Rocket, you know, just in like, Rocket from the Crypt is I like probably my all time favorite band. Really? I, I, yeah. I mean, one of my very top, top three for sure. Yeah. I own all their records. I know every lyric to every song. When they come, I go see them. I made my wife come and see them with me. And she had to watch me sing along like a maniac to every song the last time that we went together. I saw them play like things like played live at Amoeba, you know, like, and then go to see him at the bottom of the hill the same night. And, yeah. you know, just an incredibly talented band that also was like, what P- I think like, yeah, they're obviously a punk band, but they're also, they're just like a straight up rock and roll band, you know? Yeah. yeah. And their live performance, I mean, I'll never forget them, like when they were doing like the the TV circuit and, and just, you know, they did Kilborn. And I know he was pissed because people were cheering and he hated that. Mm-hmm. And, but they were like, I mean, he even said it. Thrasher called them the greatest live band in the universe. And they truly were at that time. That yeah, guitarist okay. would flip his guitar like all the way around like, in a full 360. It was yeah, amazing. They were the consummate showman. Yeah. I mean, they were incredible. That, we put the, they were on, I was at that Kilburn taping. And it was funny because uh, when they started filming, Reese says, just the waist up, just the waist up. Like talking about Elvis on the, yeah. uh, you know, being filmed on the, I mean, it's like John Reese's sense of humor is so beyond. Oh, yeah. It's just like I- incredible. But that's what the first thing he says in the mic. He's, and they were like making their, you know, American television debut. Like he yeah. wanted to make it like an old Ed Sullivan totally. show. But yeah, that was, that was insane. Yeah. Kevin, you'll but, appreciate this. The, the, this. I just thought of this while we were talking, uh, we were talking about rocket and knowing probably who your top three favorite bands are. Um, <laughs> Vega was only going to be a one. It was, I only started off as to make it like a one release label. It was just going to be one seven inch. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a split seven inch with rocket from the crypt and jawbreaker. Amazing. And yeah. And they both agreed to do it. So based on that, I went out and got, I was like, well, damn, I could, I should make it into a box set. We'll do, you know, a five, seven inch box set. So I went and got all these other bands, you know, like I said, like seaweed, J church, the Mises, Fluff, uh, Down by Law, Face to Face. Who else was on the Tree People? Uh, it was just, it was a rad box set of all West Coast bands. Well, I put it all together and then Jawbreaker and Rocket Flake. And so, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah, just see where we go. I'm like, oh crap, but we put it out and it, it did really well. But the irony being, of course, like, you know, over the years, I came to work with both of, the, both of those bands. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's interesting too that you mentioned Lance. I, you know, and I'll just I was I went to his memorial at the um at the Hemlock, you know, when he died. And and actually Adam took me to that. He's like, you gotta go, you gotta go. Mm-hmm. What I played in a, a hardcore band called Engage from Santa Rosa. And at the time that Lance was putting out a few records, um, you know, he had his little label out of SF and and um we were on like a lookout comp and then a very small records comp. And, you know, we were like putting out our own seven inches. We did some stuff with curb dog in Santa Rosa, who was releasing mm-hmm. like no means known victims, family and nuisance and all kind of their earlier recordings. And, um, and I, we played a show, like, I think it was actually uh maybe even a benefit for food, not bombs with, um, with uh, one of Lance's bands. And I don't, maybe it was J church. Um, or it was probably cringer actually. Cause it was that oh, far so back. Pre- Pre-J-Church. Yeah. 
and yeah. and I said, "What? Why don't you put us on one of your comps?" And he's like, "Because I don't really like your music, but I really <laughs> like you as a person, Kevin." <laughs> you know, even when he like turned me down, he was so still sweet nice. And honest, you know. It's just like it, it, he was like Uncle Lance. You know what I mean? Totally. I mean, we're all basically the same age, but he was like he was so far advanced from the rest of us in terms of just his social network, the way that he kind of did everything was so ethical and just mm-hmm. like so punk. Like totally. I mean. Everything about Lance Hahn was like, he was like the walking punk ethos. Yeah. You know? and, and without being like, you know, like militant asshole about it. He was right. just, he was amazing. But I, I remember the, the first time that I went to, God, I, was, I don't even know. I was just out of college. So um, the first time I went to Bottom of the Hill, mm-hmm. uh, I forget what band I was with, but we were loading in and like, and you know, in my mind, like Bottom of the Hill was like, you know, it was like, a Mecca. It was like Gilman. It was like, it was like, it was yeah, San Francisco. Sure, right? yeah, yeah. So I walk in the back door and like standing at the bar, this is in the middle of the day, standing at the bar is Lance. And I go, I was like, what? he just appeared at bottom of the hill. Of course he would be there. And I was yeah. like, Lance, Hey, it's rich Vegar. And he was like, oh. but I'm thinking like, how did he just vaporize here? And then just also just bailed. It was like totally Lance, such a great guy. Adam and I were just talking about him the other day. Like, just how he, just like you said, he was his networking ability without being a networker. He just knew everybody. And he's like, Oh, you should call this person or you should get your records pressed here. These guys have a, a shorter wait time than this pressing thing. He's just awesome. Yeah. Like he, I mean, yeah, it was great. Just right on guy. Like never ever held back a piece of advice or like a, like a something like he, he was a guy who always threw you a bone, you know, yeah. like, Oh yeah, we do this way, you know, and totally. just like, so yeah, just a great guy. I mean, and, and put out some great music too. I mean, his, yeah, you know, did. his bands were, they're, they're, they're a huge part of the soundtrack of my life at that point, you know, same, same. and uh, I will never forget the, the cover of the Cringer Karen record. And I didn't even know Karen at that point, really, other than that she played in Spitboy, you know, and, mm. and it's just like, just the stuff that they did was so, everything was so like local yet you could relate to it no matter what what town you were from totally totally and i I think i think that's some of the thing though like you know when when i think about vagrant records and you know i can i can refer to notes or not it's like it it, i would like to say oh you guys oh you 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 got lucky you caught lightning in a bottle but you didn't really i mean you like you said it it had started like what 95 or 94 Mm -hmm. with just you kind of working on it but you like the bands that you were able to sign it, it was like it's not like they all sounded the same but there was a similar work ethic and a similar kind of tour ethic and they didn't come to the shows to like phone it in every one of them like brought it every single any band on vagrant that i ever saw and and this when you guys were really humming in like late like 99 2000 but early 2000s was right when I actually got sober. So I was going to live shows again a lot. And a lot of those bands were touring through all the time. Oh, all the time. All the time. <laughs> I mean, that's why I saw Rocket from the Crypt so many times because they were constantly coming through. Like, yeah. you know, and and I just like, every single Vagrant band I saw, it was like, you knew. It didn't matter. Like, it didn't matter who else was on the bill. You were guaranteed at least one band that was going to just smash it that night. Yeah. And, and, and like, I, so... You guys, it was beyond just like it. There was clearly a formula to who you who you worked with, and they also seemed to really have like this, not just a strong work ethic, but they weren't like assholes, which is so nice. 
Totally. You know, I mean, that was honestly, that was the, the, those were the two criteria, be good people and kill it live. Like that's <laughs> what I, like, literally that's what I look for. And, and we, yeah, we got that. And it, like the formula that, you know, and I think that's a good point, Kev, like we don't, people don't talk about that a lot of, of the commonality of our bands was that they were really good live. And so they, and what we did was we kept putting them all out on package tours together. So if, as soon as one tour ended, we would, four more of them would, would uh, splinter off and start and tour again until we figured like, okay, we should probably like fly this banner. And we, and we, so we launched uh, the bigger in America tour. And that was, that was kind of like, honestly, it was like kind of the coming out for us, you know, it was, I mean, we did like, four nights in Chicago, three nights in LA and Rolling Stone came out and did a big feature on us. And then it just kind of went bananas, but it was really because the bands were great lives, you know? And they, and like you said, they, they weren't assholes. They sit at the merch booth. They talked to the kids, and, you know, cause they were their audience. Like well, I, that's, yeah. that's the thing. And that's why I think that, that when we talk about, you know, and I, I know that like that shiny, that shiny, you know, that shiny thing over there with all that money is very attractive but they were in the perfect generation to have seen what happened to bands like Jawbreaker, to see what had happened to bands like Sam, I am, you know, to see what had happened to everybody that wasn't green day or Nirvana, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, all those, so many bands basically broke up over the tension around that, that decision, right. Whether it was prior to the decision or after the decision. Mm -hmm. And, and I know, um, you know, for me, like, especially because I was like, we were, we're like all my bands and, and up in Santa Rosa, I was booking a ton of shows up there for bands all over the country. We were, we had our own little scene up there. We were very tight and small, but we had, we, we had great bands come through cause we would get them on the off night from Gilman or the off night right. from the city, you know? And so we, we would be able to book these killer shows up there, but I was so like such an asshole about band signing at that point. Now I look back on it. I'm like, why, you know, I, now, now that I'm a grown adult, I'm like, fuck, I would have taken that money. That would, that right. was dumb, you know, but, but the problem was that they actually did get screwed, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and a lot of them broke up over that tension and, you know, and, you know, one in particular that you're working with now, who you were involved with back then. And, you know, I mean, you saw the whole thing with Jawbreaker firsthand. Um, and then later on, you've come back and you're, you're, you know, you're managing them. Um, and what does Rich know about your uh, sordid history with protesting jawbreaker shows with flyers? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Oh, well, I, I, I'm not sure Rich does. Oh, okay. okay, so Jawbreaker <laughs> played at the Phoenix. I know because I played that show. But out front was <laughs> Kevin McCracken with little flyers that said Jawbreaker is Walmart. <laughs> you wrote that flyer? No, my my uh, the singer for our band Brian Zero, who wrote for Maximum Rock and Roll, wrote that. I remember Brian Zero. Sure. Yeah. So Brian wrote that and we were out there and, you know, Adam and I were friends, so it was a little uncomfortable. Sure. Um, but um, <laughs> um, they, in fact, because we talked about this, we, we talked about this briefly because I told you when they did the, the doc in, in SF, I was, I was the moderator for the Q&A. Right. And, and I was the one here in Nashville. Yeah. And yeah. so I joked about, because the flyers in the documentary. Yeah. Christie's reading it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I'm like, I, 
admittedly, you know, I have to tell you all that my bandmate wrote that and I was part of the protest and, you know, we were probably some of the kids that followed them around and turned our backs on them as well. And, um, and it, you know, Blake knows obviously, but he, he totally played it off and like got really quiet and was like folded his arms and staring at me. And you could almost feel the tension in the theater. Like, just like, Oh, everyone was like, Oh my God, this is going to get really awkward. You know? I wish he had done that to me at our Q and a, but I got booed as soon as I walked on stage. Cause I'm, <laughs> if you, if you recall, what? I, was, I got booed. Oh, the yeah. breaker, uh, movie premiere here. Yeah, Rich, um, you should explain to Joshua in our audience what you said in the movie and why you got booed. <laughs> I okay. saw the movie. I went to the screening that Kevin moderated or one yeah. of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I did. I did a similar one here at the Franklin Theater in, in Tennessee. And, um, and it was great. It was, it was awesome. And it sold out and everything. And, but I was doing, we come up and we had, it's a really nice old theater with like a stage and then the screen and the whole deal. So we have three chairs up there and the, and I'm like, you know, I walk out like Kevin was saying, like he did. I was like, entered about to introduce him. And I said, you know, I introduce him. They sit down. And the first thing Blake says to me, he's like, wow, I had no idea you hated the record so much. And he had every idea that he hated the record. He knew, but it's the same thing. He just played it off. Yeah. And, was, and then, then just everyone starts booing me. But, yeah. you know, I had to own it because I, I, I said it on film. I, oh, I, you're one of the talking heads that says, like, they didn't like the, the Dear You. Or something like oh, that. I'm the, yeah, I'm probably Kevin. Yeah, would no. you agree? I'm probably the most vocal about it in that clip. I would actually say that if we were going to focus on that part of the movie, Rich was the star of that part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Now that I love the hubris that the jawbreakers go out and just do endear you like yeah. the whole album. I mean, it's, yeah. it's it's such a. That's it's such an amazing uh, reversal of fortune all the way around for them that this yeah. is like the most popular tour they've ever done. Like, and not even a close second. Like there's not even, there's not, there's not even a close like third or fourth. I mean, this yeah. takes like all the top five slots for success on tour for them and they haven't even started, you know, Start but um, Friday, yeah. I, I think it's really interesting because I, I, when I first heard the record, my brother played it for me and he was the one that actually introduced me to them. And I, when he first put it on, he's like, oh yeah, this is a new jawbreaker. When, when I heard Blake's vocals, I'm like, no, it's not, <laughs> you know, like I just didn't believe it. So, totally. you know, but I think interestingly enough, you know, like a lot of the bands that you signed back in the vagrant days were incredibly influenced by them, but oh. they, they didn't follow the same, you know, kind of tragic path, which is, also amazing like you know a lot of the bands are still together and they're they're you know some of them are really like you know i know when alkaline trio plays here in the sf area it's crazy they'll play you know they'll like sell out the warfield for three nights and stuff yeah and, sure you know yeah. i mean it's just like you know they're still an incredibly successful touring band and people have such an affinity for them and i, I mean yeah. i think they're a great band they're not they're a little bit behind my generation of the deep love like husker do like we were you were talking about earlier and and the, the early Gilman bands and, um, you know, Rocket from the Crypt, who were just slightly ahead of them because they were doing, they had a whole, they, they almost, Rocket from the Crypt almost had like Two a multi generational thing. Yeah. They had the career with Adam playing drums. And then, you know, once Mario joined the band, it was like a, you know, it's like two different, you know, two different bands almost. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's really interesting because they, you know, that, that generation really were informed by the mistakes of the, the people right before them, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, you, you guys just like really, I don't know. It was like a whole feel for the, for the label. And, you know, I kind of explained it before, but I think it's, 
it's really amazing to to even today how influential that that like first group of bands that were on Vagrant are in the punk scene in you know what it was later deemed the emo scene you know like that that entire roster early on like there isn't a fucking bad band on there like you know maybe there's a bad record here and there or not a great record but there is not a single band that you guys had on that label that I could, would go and say oh they're terrible you know yeah. Like, no, they're all good. And they also, there's this weird resurgence, right? Of this, like, mm-hmm. in the pop world, like, where they're doing all this pop punk stuff and, and clearly heavily influenced by, by that music. Um, yeah, so that's what, weird. What was it yeah. like for you to be kind of in the middle of that? Did you guys know you were kind of in the middle of like a historic run at that point? Um, we knew what we were doing was like, uh, striking a chord with a certain generation of kids. Like, like we knew that, that we were important to kids in, you know, beyond the scene that, that we, you know, all came from, we knew that it was, it was expanding. And like, but I, you know, honestly, it was like, we were so focused on doing things right. Like I didn't want to sign a band of vagrant and let them down, you know, right. not every record was going to, I mean, Dashboard Professionals sold 5 million records. It's like not every band is going to sell that many, but like I want to give it a shot because I, the whole thing about Vagrant was we wanted to give them an alternative to going to a major and an alternative to like, hey, we're scrapping by. We're going to put your record out and here's something to take on tour. Good luck. Like we didn't want to be that indie label. We wanted to kind of give them everything that um, that a major, not everything a major could give, but the, the best of what a major could give without any of the bullshit. And, you know, it was, I knew that it was important. We knew that it was important. And especially in that, like, like you said, 98 to 2003, it was, it was, uh, it's kind of one of those things where like, you know, in sports, you get in the zone and things just start to happen naturally, you know, the inertia Mm -hmm. of it, Mm -hmm. you know, and it it was great. It was, it was a really good time. And then, you know, we, we got some backlash. We got a a good amount of backlash from, um, a certain segment of the scene, like, Punk Planet did like a 14 page, like, I think it started off as a hit piece until they realized there wasn't much to hit, I think. Um, but yeah, but it was like, it was a cover of Punk Planet said like, How to Ruin Everything, which was the title of the Face Face record at that time. And then said the Rocky Rise of Vagrant Records or something like that. And yeah, it was, so we, you know, we endured some of that crap, but yeah, we were really focused on just doing things. What would be the, uh, like what was the problem that we were paying bands too much money that we were putting bands on tour buses that we were, you know, oh. things like that, that we were just acting like a corporate label, which we weren't, you know, we were, I just, I wanted all of my bands to like be phenomenally successful. Yeah. And it sounds like to me, a very realistic approach with, you know, looking at the writing on the wall at the music and making money in music, like you're going to make money touring. Right. So like having bands that are good live, having them touring a lot, like sounds um, like the way. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a good formula. It worked really well. And like the Alpine trio is a great example because at that time, when I signed the trio, they, they had, they already had three records out on Asian man. And like, I couldn't figure out why they weren't because they were like the second coming of jawbreaker for me in those first couple records. Um, you know, they kind of went into kind of a more gothy kind of thing afterwards, still phenomenally great band. Um, 
And when we signed them, I mean, their, their best-selling record, I think, was like 10,000 records. We ended up selling 250,000 of each of their next three. And oh, wow. Yeah. It was just, you know, it was a matter of exposure. And like, yeah. and, and by the way, I, I should say, Mike Park is, Mike Park is like the second coming of Lance Hong. Such yeah. a great guy. Runs such an honest, ethical label. And he, like Asian Man is exactly how he wants it, you know? He doesn't want yeah. to get any bigger he, and he wants to start, and he's got a like incredible taste. Well, he's put out some of my favorite records too. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm partial to the great apes because I know those guys really well, but the, the album that they did, in fact, you know, I was one of the subjects in one of the songs they had, they wrote songs about their friends on one of their records. That record as a whole, like flowed really well. I mean, it like, and Mike was really integral in them kind of like honing it in a little bit, like honing down there. They're kind of like how they presented their full lengths and they put out some great records. I mean, he has put out some amazing records. Over Incredible records. So many, like, like my son, who's 14. It, it, he was, he was going through just his playlist and cause we, we had had this conversation and, and he's like Asian man records, you know, that guy, they're like all his favorite bands are an Asian man right now. And yeah. it's just, I was like, that's amazing. You're 14. And yeah, like, that's... Mike is still doing it exactly the way, I, I just, I have the utmost respect for him. Yeah. But well, yeah, and, they, and he could, he could be doing a lot of other stuff. I mean, he, he does really well with his children's stuff. I mean, they, you know, like, it's so weird how things cross over. My, my daughter was of the right age when Yo Gabba Gabba was huge. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm like, Mike Park is opening their live show. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like so weird how it all crosses over and like rocket from the crypt played live yeah, on the on show. There. Devo played live on the show. You know, mm-hmm. and so it's like, you know, and obviously they, the guys that wrote and were part of the show were also old the dogs. But, guys. Yeah. But, but it's yeah. like, it's crazy. Like, I mean, all this stuff kind of comes full circle in many ways. Totally. And, you totally. know, that's part of the reason we do this show is because it's like, here we are as adults, but we're still doing cool stuff. Right. I mean, would you have thought back then when you were doing Vagrant or even before that you would have the diverse roster that you have as a manager now. I mean, you've got all kinds of different stuff going on with the, with yeah, the, with that was kind of an accident. That yeah. part. Um, because, uh, so I got to back up a step. So I, when I was doing vagrant, um, I, I put out, I put out the box that I was talking about and, and I was waiting tables at one restaurant and, uh, working the door at like three different clubs and, doing all that, you know, all the stuff we've all done. And, um, and then I got engaged and, and I would, by the way, I was totally fine just waiting tables and putting out seven inches and having bands crash my floor. I was listing book your own fucking life. And they kept calling me for years, by the way, afterwards. <laughs> yeah. But me like, too. that's awesome. Yeah. It was, it was just, I would be like, no man, that's, I don't have that apartment anymore. That was like five years ago. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I got engaged and, and I was like, damn, I got to get a real job. And so I put my, um, I put my, hold on one second, guys. Um, I put my, uh, what was I saying? Okay. So, so yeah, I put a call into my buddy who, and I was like, Hey man, it, I don't really know what I can do, but if you know anybody and he worked at a, at an agency at a, at a booking agency, he's like, he calls me next week. He goes, Hey, there's this management company. that's looking for like a day to day. They signed this band on sub pop. And they need somebody to like manage them. And cause they had like huge artists, James Taylor and just massive artists. They signed this band pond from Portland and they're like, 
So go interview for the job. I'm like, I don't know anything about working the music business, <laughs> but for whatever reason, they hired me. And that's how I fell into management because yeah. And, and, and so my, my fiance at the time, she was like, yeah, this, this whole sleeping on the floor thing, is not going to work for me. Like these guys got to go. So I, I like kind of had to grow up a little bit, but then I just, yeah, I worked this management company for almost three years. And that's where I signed face to face. And, um, and I was working with Pond and then I, Vagrant was kind of doing well and those bands were doing well. And so I, I left, I, I took them with me and I started a management company. So I started Heart Eight in the same room as Vagrant was. Um, so that, yeah, then I started managing the Vagrant bands. And so then Heart Eight started to grow at kind of a commensurate to Vagrant kind of pace. Mm. And then we kind of spread out from there though. Cause it was like, you know, I, I ended up signing like bands like the Wallflowers and like just, just like it was all over the map. Like it was it wasn't just punk rock stuff. Um, Shooter Jennings, just like a whole bunch of things. Um, and so yeah, that that's that is kind of how the management thing came about, and just grew and grew, and that's what I do today still. I mean, and and it is a really it's a pretty diverse group of musicians that you're managing. Yeah, yeah, we we've we've uh, and we we got a lot of. We have a really good team. It kind of reminds me of Vagrant in the old days. I've got like, we probably have like 13 managers who work with us and yeah. um, they've got clients in hip hop and huge pop clients. And like, kind of, we just all kind of put our resources together and, and uh, it's, it's cool. And ironically, the full circle thing, like you're talking about, Kev, I started, well, um, I moved to Nashville 12 years ago, almost 12 years ago. And um, my friend Dirk, Hemseth, who has Doghouse Records, who I got the Getup Kids from, moved to Nashville about five years ago. We ended up merging our companies, and um, and that's how you know Heart Eight Working Group was formed. But Dirk came here, and he called me because he was like, I mean, Dirk and I have very similar paths in punk rock. We're the same age, the whole deal. Independent labels, both signed the Getup Kids, on and on. Um, he's become one of my very close friends. But um, yeah, he he called me because I came when I came to Nashville. I signed this country artist who was doing things like punk rock. I mean, he didn't want to be on a major label. He was playing college towns and like, like VFW halls. He was yeah. selling CDs out of his truck. And, um, I signed him and I'm like, Hey, why don't, you know, cause in, in country, you really need to be on the radio if you're going to like really expand. Yeah. I talked him into like, I was like, if you could do a major label deal and have everything the way you want it, kind of like the vagrant mentality. I was like, would you do that? He's like, yeah, but where am I going to get that? So we took his two, his two, his first two self-release records, and we put them out. Uh, we did a deal with Big Machine Records here. We had Taylor Swift and Scott Borchetta runs it. Totally got it. Let the kid do his own. We sold five million copies of these of the record. Oh wow! Yeah, wow. So he blew up and he ended up playing arenas. And it was it was not dissimilar to Dashboard. You know, I signed Chris. He was just a kid with acoustic guitar playing VFW halls. You know, four years later, he's selling out, selling out Madison Square Garden. Sure. So. It wasn't that different, you know what I mean? Like punk rock, and any as long as you have the ethics and the kind of the kind of a plan behind it, and you kind of stick to it, you can do that. So Dirk comes to town. He's like, "Hey, I signed some country guy. That what's going on down there?" I was like, "Well, here's it. Here's how it is." Blah, blah. So Dirk came to town. And he had it signed Morgan Wallen, and he also had Billie Eilish. So like, neither one of them like were in like had anything going yet, but. Right, yeah, has a really good ear. So basically, we put our companies together, and things started to go from there. So when you're looking for someone like that, are you just looking 
like is there is it more than just that the this this kid is filling up like local halls is there something more to it like that you go like there's something there that i that i think is special totally Um, yeah yeah like for me personally like i don't know why it is but i my most the most success i've ever had in my career is when i sign stuff that other people are like what the hell is that like and i just kind of connect with it you know what i mean like even with with dashboard when i signed into vagrant my whole staff was like what is this you know he, he was opening acoustic he did the i put him on the um face-to-face h2o snap case tour and he's opening acoustic and you know he oh was God. a trooper he was just you know people are throwing chains at him and everything but like you could tell that guy's like a magnet for like you know he's just he just has it mm-hmm. and so yeah, and and then the kid I signed here, when I was talking about the country, uh, Brantley Gilbert, he'd been dropped by a major, like, like everyone's like he'll never work in town here. You know, he doesn't yeah. wear a cowboy hat. He's not doesn't play the radio game. Blah blah. blah. I just kind of got it. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of the thing. If I have that feeling, you know, where you just go ah, uh huh. So that that's kind of you know, it's no great scientific principle to go by. It's just a gut <laughs> thing with me. Yeah, well, it seems to have worked out really well. Yeah, it's okay. So who, who, yeah, <laughs> knocking on wood over there. Um, so what, 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 are you, what, what bands are you excited about right now? I mean, what, who's, who's your, who's your kind of, who's, who are you listening to? What's exciting? Like, what's, what's happening? Well, it's the same answer if you would have asked me thirty years ago, Kevin. <laughs> Jawbreaker is my favorite band. Yeah. Like, I'm, you I'm, tell Blake to pick up that guitar and get in that room. And write some songs for me right now. He's getting there. He's getting there. <laughs> this pace, we should have a record out in the next 10 years or so. <laughs> yeah, I'm super stoked on this tour. You know, Kev, like, honestly, like, it, it, we've been planning it for three plus years. COVID obviously threw a big wrench into it. But, like, they, they, haven't, they haven't done a tour like this. I mean, as Chris said, when we booked, he's like, we haven't done a tour this long since 1991. <laughs> oh wow like, yeah and yeah so and we we rolled it out in a way and, and we're doing it you know in in a way that's like private jet not a private jet but they are on tour bus for the first time yeah so yeah it's it's been with really an awesome cool. tour company amazing people yeah ian's great yeah awesome affordable yeah. the guy's awesome um shout out to ian yeah and sarah but yeah so i'm, I'm stoked i'm super stoked on this tour um, but yeah, I, I, you know, off the top of my head, I mean, there, there's stuff that I, that I dig, um, mostly it comes from like my kids' playlists, yeah, you know, totally. but, um, but yeah, my, my, my 14 year old's really into kind of like, I don't know, kind of, uh, uh, crust stomp punk. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, so he likes like Pat the bunny is a big one with him. Yeah. Um, and, and all Pat the Bunny's like 10 different side projects. Um, so yeah, we, we do a lot of, uh, we do a lot of listening to that kind of stuff in the car, but awesome. it's, it's the old standbys. It's the clash. It's jawbreakers replacements. Yeah. You know? how, how, how does it feel to be going out with these guys and, you know, with all the COVID restrictions and stuff? I mean, you and I have talked about it privately, but I mean, it's, it's a, is it, is it, does it feel different or do you think when, once you get to the shows, it's going to be like, okay, here it is. Yeah. I think, um, I don't know how it feels because it's changed so many times. Like we had an entire protocol just about to be put into the tour. Like I'm talking like three weeks ago and like we had a company that did like barcode scanning. 
that everybody had to test in out, in, out. Like we had an entire thing. We had a, it was crazy. And then like before we signed the contract with this company that did all the COVID protocol stuff, they uh, Coachella came down. They said, we're pulling all restrictions. Right. And that's always the bellwether. You know, it's going to all fall after that. And sure enough, it did. So all of these, you know, every city on the tour pretty much now has pulled all COVID protocols. We're going to keep it for the band and the crew because, you know, one of them goes, it's a three piece. <laughs> you can't replace one of those three. So if that goes down, the tour is in trouble. So we're going to, you know, we're going to do our best to, to be sensible about it and safe um, and, and just kind of, you know, proceed with caution. I mean, and, and how are the other, how are your other acts dealing with it? Are they, has there been? Uh, most of them are really young. So yeah. they're, yeah, they, they feel invincible a little bit. Um, yeah. but everybody's been smart. Like this generation of kids is, is, I gotta say, I gotta give it up to them. The re like one of our like breakthrough artists this, this last year has been, uh, this young girl named Tate McRae. And she basically blew up during COVID from her kitchen table in Canada. And now she's, I think she's like well, on her sixth or seventh platinum single and, and she's rolling out on our first tour. Um, but yeah, she's, she's just turned 18 she's planned out her career, you know, she's, she's been basically calling the shots, you know, on her career for, since she was 14 years old. So I'm, I'm pretty impressed with, with the savviness of these kids today. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty amazing, especially, you know, I mean, I feel like they, they are such good self marketers. It's crazy. You know, they know way like more than we do whole other level, you know? Yeah. And I mean, even doing the, like my other podcast and now this podcast is talking to the same kind of network um, about joining them. The, the kid that does their social media and their marketing is, mm-hmm. he's got to be in his mid twenties. And he is just, I mean, he's, it's slick, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. they, they, they signed a podcast and a week later, they blew them up and got a million listeners because of right. like a specific episode they had just released about a topic that got huge. He just knew where to place it. Totally. You know? And yeah. it's, it's like, I'm just, it's baffling to me. I'm like, I, you know, I feel like I'm like, hopefully I can text this text message, you know, right. and, it, <laughs> and I don't misspell anything, even with the uh, autocorrect, you know, yeah. you should have seen me trying to set up the zoom for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Mr. Magoo. Yeah. Well, um, we're, I want to respect everybody's time. We're getting close to the hour here, but, um, you know, we'll, we're Joshua and I are both, I, Joshua, what night are you going to see the, the job breakers? Thursday and Friday, I think. Thursday and Friday. At the Fillmore? Yeah. Yeah. Because Kevin, we're Friday together, right? Yes. Jo- yeah. Josh was going to be my, my, my plus one on Friday. So awesome. Um, awesome. But, um, you know, so we'll see you out here in, God, like a week and a half, man. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Two, oh, oh, is that that soon? That's yeah, that soon? Yeah. It's, it's, it's not this oh, my God. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. He's, he's, he had to do this now because he's leaving for Olympia. Yeah. I'm out of yeah. here. And, um, but, I mean, it's just like, it's great to have you on. And I think, you know, the, the, we try to get people on that are like keeping the whole thing alive in one way or another. And I think the way that you, that you guys run, you know, your, your management company and, you know, it's, it's like, I, I tell people all the time, I learned everything I really needed to know from being in the punk scene. I learned how to book, book events by booking shows. I learned how to deal with travel by touring. I learned how to, you know, like negotiate by putting out records and trying to get our stuff in the queue. I learned how to screen print and I, that ended up being part of my career for God's sakes, you know, but, but to see, like you say, like 
the feel of your management company is like the early days of Vagrant. It's, it's not, it's not like a mistake. You brought that, you know, and, and so, and we, we get to bring that sort of touch to everything we do, you know, and people either get on board or they don't, you know, and, and, but it's, it's amazing, you know, and good luck to, to the guys on this tour. I think they're going to have a fantastic time. And I think, you know, uh, hopefully all the fans will too. I mean, it's, you know, it's going to be a, a, hopefully a good couple months for them, but, you know, mostly to you, like congrats on pulling this off with all the hassles and the, you know, I mean, this was, this was how many, you know, 20, how 20, however many years in the making, really. I mean, you've been trying to do it for three years, but you guys have been friends a long time. And, and and I know that it's a big deal for you as, as much as it is for them. And, but so people get to see the behind the scenes a little bit. This is I know for a fact, because we've been talking for the last three or four months, how much work you all have put into this. And, and, you know, I just hope, I hope it goes off as expected because uh, you know, it's, it's just, I know it's been a ton of planning. So. Oh, well, I, I appreciate you saying that, man, but you're, I mean, you're underselling how helpful that you've been and, and to, to me and to the guys, it's like it, kind of what you're saying about punk scene. It's like, we find each other, you know, yeah. we all end up finding each other in, in broad circles and we all kind of had our like mentors and blueprints and how to do it. And like, it, it, you just, like I said, you just kind of, our, our universes revolve and then we, we kind of cross, you know, and, and I so appreciate like everything that, that you guys do. And I'm, I'm just stoked. I'm, I'm super stoked to, to like talk to you guys tonight, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this tour. Yep. Well, I'm bringing my, my little mini, I've got a little mini sure microphone that, that cooks to my phone. I'm, I'm going to bring it to the Fillmore. So we'll get some clips that we'll share too from the tour and, you know, a nice bootleg that we can put out <laughs> on uh, yeah, a new label. Tell, I won't tell. Yeah, Adam, Adam, Adam won't, won't know about that or anything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he'll know. <laughs> so, I don't really want to tell him. Yeah. Well, Thanks so I'll, much for coming on the show, Rich. Oh, you yeah. bet. Anytime. Yep. You, guys, you guys rule. I'm a, like I said up front, I'm a, I'm a big fan of all your episodes. I've listened to them all. Thanks. So thank thanks. you for having me on. I'm stoked. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, and we'll we'll uh, we'll be back soon. We'll be back soon. Right on. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs>